One of the great joys of being up front is to hear you sing. How beautiful it was to hear you sing this morning. Thank you. You know the reason we don't have a choir? What is that reason? Because you are the choir. You are the choir. And you sang beautifully this morning. Thank you so much. If you have your Bible, take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And on the back of your sermon outline is a plethora of Scripture passages that are there for you uh, to, to examine. Perhaps this afternoon as you get home, we won't be reading through all of them, but I want you to have them to underscore the vital and important points we're going to consider today. And this text, the sixth text in a series on the mission of the church, is before us this morning, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So far now the reading of God's Word. One of the things I love so much about our church family is that we are filled, as I look around this room, we are filled with creative, artistic imaginative people. Tolly Zechariah, he takes lyrics and he composes a tune and he puts them together and creates a new worship song. Kevin Hafey takes words at random and then shapes them together by rhyme and meter and creates stanzas into a poem that startle and grip our minds. There's a new couple in our church, Stephen and Rebecca Forster, and they own the Long Island Academy of Fine Arts. It's so cool just to get to know them. And Stephen is a painter, and he takes a blank canvas, and with a few strokes of his brush and a number of different colors, he fills the canvas with beauty and form in order to strike us and to cause us to ponder at the painting he produces. And you can go to galleries in Manhattan and see his work. And his wife, Rebecca, they both met studying art in Florence, Italy, and she is a sculptor. And she takes marble, rock, a hunk of rock, and she sees inside that piece of rock, and she begins to chisel and to cut and to sand and to shape into a beautiful, exquisite statue. And I could go on as I look around this room at the creative, artistic, marvelous abilities God has given to us. Craftsmanship. Workmanship. The Bible says that God is an artist. Did you know that? that God is a craftsman. God is a worker who is creative in what He makes. And it's so fascinating that God Himself, we are told in this passage, is 
painting a painting, and the canvas is us. God is composing a new song, and the melody is you. For we are His workmanship, created, it says. Now, this is very interesting, because in the Bible, as you know, there's two creations. The first creation, well, we have it in Genesis 1, right? We love that passage. It says, and God spoke, and poof, the galaxies blast into existence. A whisper from God, and stars are formed, and God in His creation makes our solar system and then the planet, the, the, the what third rock from the sun, and there on it is this exquisite life, complex and rich. God created this magnificent world in which we live. However, now in our text, it says God creates, but He's not talking about just moving atoms around. What is He talking about here? It is the even greater creation, the spiritual creation of His church, of His people, and He is breathing life into those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And He is taking, He's taking a canvas, let's be honest, He's taking a canvas that was not very attractive, and He sweeps it clean, and He begins to paint a new picture on that canvas. And he takes a discordant, ugly melody, and he scrambles it all around, and out flows a new song in a new life. That is our God. And we are told here that you and I are His workmanship, unique to His people in the church. You and you and you You are His painting, and He is actually putting the portrait of His Son, Jesus Christ, onto you. And this is deep. This runs deep according to this verse, because this verse says that this was planned beforehand. Did you catch that? This was planned beforehand, these things you're going to do that you're going to walk in. And we now step onto the holy ground of what the Bible calls predestination, that God, in His wisdom, in His mind, before there was a tree, before there was a planet to put the tree on, I think we, God purposed in His heart to recreate you. We are told in, in Romans 8, Uh, 28, we are told that He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He predestined you to be conformed into Christ's image. You see, the painting that He's painting, the song... Just switch to this microphone. Okay, Steve? The song that He is composing is was planned by Him, okay? And He, we're told in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, 
That's the craftsmanship that he began. He will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And so over time, over time, it's being painted. Some of us are frustrated. Maybe it's not happening fast enough. Maybe we're struggling, we're suffering, we are keenly aware of our failures and our sins, how finite we are. He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. You remember the prophet Jeremiah? Remember Jeremiah, we call him the reluctant prophet? He didn't want to be a Sunday school teacher. You know, the the director of Christian education came to him and said, you know, we really need a Sunday school teacher. Jeremiah said, not me. We need a, a, a new home fellowship group down in the Garden City area. Jeremiah, would you do that? Jeremiah said, not me. And do you remember what God said to him? He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And so Jeremiah went, and he walked the walk that God had him to walk. This is deep stuff, isn't it? You and we are his creation. That's point number one. Point number two It's very clear that you are saved in order to serve. And we see this in the middle of the verse, that we are created in Christ Jesus for what? It's very interesting. Jesus Christ did not just save you so that you would go to heaven. All right? If that were the case, he would have taken you out of the misery and the struggle of this world and just catapulted you right up there, out of the sorrows that you face, out of the frailty that you fear, out of the suffering that you endure. Well, Jesus, just carry me off to heaven. But he says, no, not yet. Not yet. I have something wonderful for you. You are going to do good works that I have appointed you to do. You've been saved in order to serve. It's so interesting. This, the, the Bible is filled with marvelous metaphors of the church. The church is the body of Christ. Is that right? He's creating the church as the body of Christ. And so there's the hand, and there's the eye, and there's the ear, and there's the foot, and there's the mouth. And together they work in organic, coordinated connection together the church as a team. And that's what we are, North Shore Community Church. We're a team. If you're new to us, please join our body. Be on our team. Let's be coordinated together to reach the North Shore of Long Island, shining His light wherever we go, the body of Christ. And we send teams to Haiti. We send teams to the Bowery Mission. We send out people to work in the food pantry, in the thrift store, and in the home fellowship groups scattered across this region. The body of Christ. But the Bible also says you are the bride of Christ. And Jesus Christ is adorning the one 
who is the object of his affection, the one in whom he delights. If you're a Christian, regardless of your earthly marital status, you might be single, you might be divorced, you might be married, you might be widowed, the Bible says you're betrothed and you are married to the great bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And his affection is upon you, a covenant of love that can never be broken. The faithful groom is yours. And what does the bride do? But we know the bride comes and she engages in acts of love for her husband, for she too delights in him and does in coordination with him what, she, what, is, what the family wants to do. And it's beautiful, this picture, an active engagement together like a husband and a wife. And then, of course, there's this creation of the temple of living stones. I, my, the metaphors could go on, but I love this one. We are told that you and you and you and you have been sculpted into stones that are then crafted into a temple. What is the temple? The temple is the dwelling place of God, right? The dwelling place of God, where God is worshipped. And oh, the good works of worship belong to the church. Let me ask you this. Um, Will 600 cars drive by outside today during the hour that we are here? Yeah, 600 cars will drive by. Do these people have any interest in lifting up and exalting the name of the, the one Uh, who is king of kings and lord of lords? Most likely not. But you, you are the residence of God where he himself comes to dwell. Individually you are his temple, but corporately together we are his temple, his residence. And we do these works. We bring the sacrifice of praise and worship. That's what all this craftsmanship is bringing about transformation to good works. Now, I have many favorite stories of transformation, but one of my favorites has to do with Ebenezer Scrooge. Does anybody know Ebenezer Scrooge? Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol. And Ebenezer Scrooge is a mean, miserly, stingy, miserable old man. And Charles Dickens is he's saying Ebenezer Scrooge is each one of us. But Scrooge encounters, Scrooge encounters in the spiritual realms the realities that wake him out of his sin and enliven him to become new and Scrooge by the end becomes liberal and generous and gracious and, and a blessing to the people around him, so much so that at the end of the book, what does tiny, tiny Tim cry out? Do you know? And he shouts, God bless us, everyone. What a moment. Every one of us, if you're a Christian... Every one of us is Ebenezer Scrooge. Not just the old Scrooge, but now you are the new Ebenezer Scrooge. Seeking to bless, 
using what you've been given in order to glorify God and bless the people around you. You know, I got so carried away earlier in the service that we forgot to read from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Any chance we have that, Wes? Can you find that? We forgot to read from chapter 16 of Good Works. This is so interesting. I love this passage in the Confession of Faith. Speaking about good works, it says, These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. Right? Remember James 2.17? It says, Faith without works is dead. They are evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them, believers... Believers do a whole bunch of things. Manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, and then I love the next four, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God. You can take that off, Wes, for now. That's as far as I'll go with that. But did you catch, did you catch the power and the potency of what the good works that you and I do created by God as he paints them and as he composes them and as he chisels them and energizes them in our lives, did you catch what they do? The first thing he says is that they edify their brethren. Then they adorn the profession of the gospel. Then they stop the mouths of the adversaries and they glorify God. You think about those things. North Shore Community Church. God wants us to edify the brethren. That's old-fashioned language for love each other, build each other up. We've just got to do it. Every Sunday morning when we gather, build each other up. Sing out so that others are encouraged by what you hear. In your home fellowship groups, Share your lives together and bear each other's burdens because the other people who are coming to your group are carrying excruciating burdens that that they need the safety to share with you so that you can get under the load that they carry. In the youth group, the teenagers, we want every teenager to feel safe and welcome and beloved in the life of this church because it's hard to be a teenager. It is hard to be a teenager. And there are teenagers all around us who are turning to alcohol, who are turning to pot, who are turning to all kinds of narcotics just to escape the pressures and the suffering internally that they're going through. And, and we, we don't want that for anyone in our church family. We don't want it for anyone outside our church family. You edify the brethren And then you adorn the profession of the gospel. What is that all about? What does that look like? Well, you know what it looks like. We don't just talk the talk. What do we do? We must walk the walk. And so we have a benevolent fund. And we receive from you not only to pay for the utility bill, that's the first plate that we go by, but there's a benevolent fund. What do we do with that? And we find brothers and sisters in particular difficult situations, and we help them with it. 
That's what we do. You, that's what you do. We do that together. We adorn, we decorate the gospel by the good works that we do. As we, You know, I was trying to get in touch with one of our teenagers, and he says, you know what, I can't meet with you because I'm tutoring a friend in history who's desperately trying to pass summer school. And I thought to myself, this was so beautiful. This young man using his summer time to tutor another fellow who's trying to pass summer school. Adorning the profession of the gospel. It's real in his life. As we support children through World Vision and, and through Compassion International, this church, through your offerings in our budget, we're giving to care for children overseas. As we send, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on, but we adorn the profession of the gospel. As you take food to your neighbor who's lost a loved one, you're adorning your profession of the gospel making it beautiful. And then it says it stops the mouths of adversaries. What is that all about? Well, are there critics of the church out there? Ah, the church, it's a bunch of hypocrites. Boringest group of people. And then you begin to tell them about our Haiti mission team. You begin to tell them about these young people that are going down to the Bowery Mission. You begin to tell them about this couple that gives up their vacation, their summer vacation, to go down to Lower Manhattan to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to manage a group of kids and serve alcoholics and homeless people who probably won't even say thank you to them. And you tell someone about Bill and Sherry, and your friends will say, Wow. That's real. You see? It stops the mouths of adversaries. They may not like the arguments of John Yenchko for the existence of God, but they will be touched as they see the love of Christ adorning the, your profession of the gospel. And, of course, it all, all the good works are to glorify God. And people will see. Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not enough that they pat you on the back and say, you're really great. No, that's the devil's job, right? That's the devil's job because, you see, pretty soon you're going to start hearing his little whisper. Congratulations. You are really quite a fine fellow. God must really love you for all these grand things you're doing. You can trust in that. You can be sure of that. All right? And that, that's what the devil loves to whisper, and that's what our flesh loves to believe. Congratulations, self. You're superior to all those other folks. What do you think? Do these good works save us? Well, that's why it's important to read a Bible verse in its context. And this verse, Ephesians 2.10, follows after verses 8 and 9. And apparently before Paul paints this picture of this craftsmanship, this artistry that God's doing in our lives, he has to tell us something very important. What is it? It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not according to your works, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works 
so that no one may boast. Okay? Your salvation is all gracious. There is no place for self-congratulation. There is not. You know, the Westminster Confession puts it like this. Earlier, or a little later in chapter 16. Listen. We cannot, by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God. By reason of the great disproportion that is between them and us, between them and God. What's he saying? What, what, what does it teach? Look. Your works can't save you, and yet you must do good works. This drove Martin Luther crazy. If you know anything about Martin Luther, you know he wrestled with the book of James. In the book of James, it says faith without works is dead, and the church has to do good works. So Luther, um, he, he says, the position of a preacher is a precarious one. For on the one hand, one must, listen, must preach justification by faith alone. And yet also, one must preach on the necessity of good works. For if one only preaches faith, you know what he gets? Luther says, he gets a bunch of false converts who do nothing. But if he preaches works, he gets a bunch of self-righteous legalists. So Luther says, my danger is great here. We have a member of our church who who says that her life verse is from Micah 6, verse 8. It's a very humbling verse, but it says, Micah 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And the New Testament echo is in 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. He speaks to those who are rich in this world. That's you and that's me. We who live in the nation with the highest standard of living in the history of our planet. He commands to the rich in this present age, They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And when you do, Jesus says on the judgment day, on the judgment day, all those good works that God gave you to do, as imperfect as they are, They will be recorded and read about on the Judgment Day. Did you know that? We're told in Matthew 25 that Jesus is going to focus on our works, the works that God prepared for us to do, where you pick up in verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, 
and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. What follows is very disturbing. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, and naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you, do, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I hear this. I hear this. And it makes me nervous. You know, I, I do a lot of good works. I preach a lot of sermons. And I hope they're helpful to you. But I know how much pride there lurks in my soul. How much I worry about the opinions of men. How did I do? What do they think of me? And there is all kinds of pollution yet remaining in my soul. The, 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 the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says that, that these are polluted Even the best works we do are polluted and corrupt and imperfect. So, how can they be acceptable? And our verse, Ephesians 2.10, tells us with the little phrase. Are you ready? For we are his workmanship created. What's next? In Christ Jesus to do good works. And this is the answer to it all. In Christ, how many times must we learn? In Christ. Oh, my friends, if you're here today and you think that Christianity is, Jesus is nice, and you should be nice too, then you do not understand Christianity. You do not understand the gospel. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, do you, do, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Any newness of life comes as a result of being... Here it comes. Bring down the screensaver now. Here it comes. Any good deed that we do that is of any value at all comes as a result of being in Christ Jesus. That's it. And that's the best. For that's new life. That is the purpose of God. 
to create a new population for himself, for his glory, ready to do good works for his glory. Oh, my friends, point number three is very simple. Jesus did good works that you might be saved and serve. And recall, how many months ago was it when we studied the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17 together, and we got to verse 4, where Jesus is praying, and the disciples get to eavesdrop on Jesus praying, this longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And in verse 4, do you recall what Jesus says? I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Do you understand that Jesus is a worker? He was always, he says, my father's always working. I'm always working. What was his work? Well, did he do good works and feed the hungry? Did Jesus feed the hungry? Oh, did he ever feed the hungry? By the thousands and yet. And yet that was just a momentary picture of he who came down from heaven the bread of heaven that came down to give life to the world. Did Jesus feed the thirsty? The Bible tells us he did feed the thirsty. When Israel was in the desert wilderness and the rock was struck and the water gushed out to slake their thirst, Paul tells us the rock was Christ. He gave them water to drink. But what is that? That's just a a glimpse Of him who said, he who believes in me from his inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. And his greatest work was what? It was as our priest, the high priest. The priest who must have clean hands and a pure heart. And there's no priest who could do that. But Jesus, clean and pure. And he must offer up a sacrifice that is unblemished and perfect. And what would that be that he would serve up and offer up as the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world? It was himself. He accomplished that work as your Savior, as my Savior, so that we could be in Christ and made new. Let me conclude. You know, people ask you sometimes, they say, How are you doing? And a lot of people say, I'm doing good. Now, you know, the grammar Nazis among us will not like that. Do you know any grammar Nazis? You know, they're always correcting your grammar. But actually, you know, when you say, I'm doing good, what you mean is, things are going well with me. And that's what you should have said. Things are going well with me. But if you say, I'm doing good, Well, I I can live with that. I appreciate that. Actually, I hope that's true. I believe that's true because you're a Christian. And if you are a Christian, it is appropriate for you to say, in Christ Jesus, I am doing good because you are. And God is painting the image of his son onto the canvas of your life. And he is composing the melody of the gospel into the song of your life. And he is chiseling. Sometimes it's hard and it's painful, but he is cutting away to create a beautiful statue on your life that you would live for his glory. If you've just been cruising through life and you don't think about the glory of God or edifying the brethren or adorning your profession of faith, well, Today is a day to repent. Today is a day to say, hey, you know what, Lord? 
I invite you to do business with me, and as we come to communion now, we're going to have time for you to, to allow God to do business with you because He wants you to do good works that He has prepared for you to do. And I want you to present yourself to be available, all of yourself, to be available to Him. Let us pray. Our Father, how rich is this passage How grateful we are for it. And we pray that you would cleanse us from indifference to your glory, and you would now energize us to live afresh, to live again for your glory. And we present ourselves to you. We're a canvas. Some of it is scarred, torn, ugly. We invite you to wash it clean and to begin painting anew, we pray. Create that which is beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen.